Welcome to iChurch. Oh, get ready for your blessing. For further information, visit us at iChurchOKA.com. And now, here's today's message. Recap, every single Sunday I've been taking a different Bible character and I've been presenting him and showing you how to apply what he lived through what we, we go through, what we live. So we're talking about their experiences and our experiences. Today, I want to take you to a different Bible character. I want to take you to Daniel. I want to talk about him and I want to talk more than him. I actually want to talk about Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I don't know if I pronounced that right, all right, but there's, there's like seven different ways to pronounce that name, Nebuchadnezzar. And I want to talk to you about Nebuchadnezzar and I want to talk to you about his story. Now, to tell you about his story, I have to go into the book of Daniel. I have to read chapter 1. I have to read chapter 2. We have to read chapter 3. I have to put you up to date. But it's so much information. What I'm going to do is I'm going to teach you some basic things about this story. Okay? And I want you to catch on to this. And I want you to grab a hold of what it is. And then we're going to dive into the Word. But we're going to dive into the Word with a video. And I want you to be able to see what happened. And then I'll come back and I'll wrap it up for you on chapter 3 of the book of Daniel. But check this out. Let me show you a couple of things. First of all, I want to show you, in the book of Daniel, we talk about the people of God. Now, this is the land that God gave. These are the 12 tribes. If you could dim that green light a little, I'd appreciate it so I could see a little better. Okay? And here you see, here you see the land of, of God. These are the people of God. Okay? Now, the people of God had all these lands. And the capital, sort of say, was Judah, which is that red land right there. Now, People of God were, had spread it over. They had come in. All the stories you know, Moses had conquered. They went in. Joseph, Joseph had con- um, um, Joshua had come in. They've taken the promised land. Now they've scattered all over the place. They, they're the owners of all this land. God promised and they fulfilled and they have it. But they had been turning away from God. And turning away from God, they're living in Judah, which is the main land. And they cover all these. The children of God cover all these lands. They've begun into war against each other now. They're at a point where they're in war against each other. Then this war one king came. We didn't need kings. We had God and we had the kingdom and we had God over us. But they got tired and the people of God said, hey, we want a king just like the rest of the people. So a king was sent and there came Saul and then David and so on and so on. There came a point that they didn't want one king over all the people of God. They wanted kings in every single one of their tribes. So now they were no longer a family and the Bible says that no family divided against itself shall prosper. So here they have this one king and then this one king, I'm going to show you a picture of this one king. This one king here, here, his name is Heokim. Heokim, he came in. He wanted to take God's name upon himself, but he, but the way it's pronounced really means he set up. He was taken position. This king came in power, and when this king came in power and had Judah over him, he had the power of Judah. And check this out. He he wanted to rule to such an extent that he knew he had the control of everything. Now what happened at that same time, even though he was king in Judah, there was another king in a faraway land and this other king was called Nebuchadnezzar. Now Nebuchadnezzar he came to exist and when he came to exist, he came in and he said, you know what I want to take in the people of God. These people prosper. Whatever they do goes well. Whatever they try goes well. Now you got to follow me here because this is just the introduction. I'm trying to set it up so you can know what's going on and when we get into the scripture you'll know what we're talking about. But here is Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar says, you know what? 
I want what the people of God have. Every time God prospers you, you got to understand that somebody's going to be upset because God's prospering you. Now, there'll be people that are happy for you, but there are people that are going to be upset with you. Now, there's this all this expectation on the people of God, and here they are prospering, and here comes this king, this really bad king called Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar invaded Judah, took over Judah, and he comes in and he creates something terrible, which is the exile. But before that, I want to show you something. What they did was that they would walk around, and when they took all the people out of Judah, and they made them travel all the way to Babylon, they took this land, and let me talk to you for a second about Babylonians. Babylonians is a lot like America. Pastor, a lot like America, yes, we're all immigrants. I'd say 99% of us that live here are immigrants. We came from somewhere. Now, I know people that have been living here all their life and say, oh, that's offensive, Pastor. You may be an immigrant because you're Hispanic, but I'm not. Wait up, before you freak out on me, let me explain something to you. I was just doing research the other day on this. When I was doing research on this, I was looking at the division of the Hickory and Catawba County by sectors and how it works and where majority of white Anglos live and Hispanics live and African Americans and where diversity is, what is the income per area and per region. And as I'm doing all this study, it's funny because there's this one chart that says after the census, people's background, where we came from. Do you know that Hickory is predominantly people with German background and then Italian background is the minority of the people that came here? So your great, 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 great grandfather may have been native Indian, but most likely he came over at some point as an immigrant and they came over and they took over new lands. And what happens is the following, same thing that happened in North America. When you come to North America, what makes it such a prosperous country is the following. What makes us so blessed and so prosperous is the fact that there's so much diversity amongst us, we enrich the culture. You see, we formed a whole new world. That's why it was called the new world. We had people from England. We had people from Spain. We had people from Italy. We had Germans. They just came in and they moved. And as they moved into the area and they came here, we created our subculture called North America. So we became Americans. And and I know this for a fact because I am a U.S. citizen since the day I'm born. I'm born a U.S. citizen because I'm born in I'm born in Puerto Rico, but Puerto Rico is part of the United States, and I was raised up in the north in the United States. So I know this for a fact because when I go back to Puerto Rico, it's still evident. See, Puerto Rico has been North American soil for so long that you know when you go there, you're still in North American soil. It's funny. Uh, when you go to a foreign country, and I travel a lot, when you go to a foreign country, and you, go to, you see different cultures and different races, and you see that they're very diverse. They do things like, why did they do that? That makes no sense at all, you know, and it doesn't make it like the first time I sat down with a group of pastors. I'm with a group of pastors and we're in, we're in, we're in the border of Haiti and Dominican Republic and all the pastors got together after a wonderful service and they're really legalistic. I mean, they are strict to the bone, man. I mean, you name it, they do it. You got to be, you got to be, you don't miss service. You don't come late to service. You better be at every single worship service. I mean, they are strict. I mean, super, super strict. And then they sit down at the table and the first thing they do, I'm a student and I'm an intern. I'm actually learning how to be a pastor. This is way back, 20-something years back. And I'm sitting at the table and they're testing you every day at this academy. I'm there and they're like, I would wake up in the morning, they'd go over to my bed to see if my bed, my bed was dressed correctly. They throw a quarter on the bed, bam! And if, when they throw the quarter, if it wrinkles, they, they, they take all your sheets and they knock it down. And they say, a pastor is a well-structured pastor. If you're going to be a man of God, be a man in order. They give you a book and say, okay, read it. The next day in the morning, you, they, they, we were sitting once and they just gave me a book and said, here, you need to read this book. I remember, I remember like that was a Hank Hangoff book called um, um, The World in Crisis, a North American book, and they're giving it to me in the coast of Haiti and Dominican Republic. And I'm sitting there and they give me the book and I, and I saw the book. I said, okay, great, I'm going to read it. So I went to bed and stepped in the morning when I wake up, they sat 
down. They gave me a test on the, t- on the book. I'm like, a test? You gave me the book yesterday. And they're like, hey, we told you to read it. A pastor will always read. You know? And they're giving you all these strict instructions. So here they are. They sit at a table. And the first thing they put on the table was wine. And all the elders and all the pastors are sitting. And they're looking at me. And they go... And I'm like, this is another test. I'm not going to fail this one. I'm not, I'm not going to fail this one. This is a test I'm not going to fail. They want to know if I'll drink. I, drink I ain't going to be no drunk. No, baby, I'm not drinking. You guys are not going to get me on this one. And I said, so they all start serving cups. But they all serve their cups, but nobody would drink. And my cup's in front of me, and I won't serve the wine. And I'm just sitting there I'm like, mm-hmm. And the, my mentor turns over to me and says, are you that disrespectful? I think, is he testing me? I said, oh, what do you mean? He says, we're about to share the bread and the wine. So I thought, Lord's Supper, right? No, they really meant they're going to eat and have wine. Because of their French culture that's so influenced in the Haitian community, they drink wine with all their meals on every single meal. Every single meal, you have a couple, you don't get drunk on it, they have a lot of control over it, but every single night, there's wine on their table. So I'm freaking out. I'm like, do I drink it or do I not drink it? Am I going to get in trouble? So what I do, I wait till they started drinking. And then when they started drinking, I went to take mine. They knocked out of the pan. They said, no, you already dishonored the whole table. Get up and leave the table. So I had to get up and leave the table. And it was a test. But here's where I'm going. You know why I was clueless on what was happening? Because I didn't understand the culture. See, in North America, we have such a mix. And that's, that's how the Babylonians came to exist. Now, when you hear Babylon, you've got to understand. You're talking about a chaotic empire. Their dynasty lasted from 5 to 10 years. It wasn't too long. You say, Pastor, I thought, no, that's nothing. 5 to 10 years of dynasty, that's nothing compared to the Roman Empire. But when the, Babylon, when the Babylonian Empire started to raise, these guys had incredible power to conquer. I mean, they came in and they just had everything. You know why? Because a mix of cultures. They had a lot of Greek in them. They had Romans in them. They had people from the Middle East in them. They had, they was just, they came together. They were called the semantics. They came together and formed a nation. They formed a nation all the way out here in Babylon. And the first thing they looked was at the rich land of the people of God. So they started conquering and conquering and created a gigantic empire. Nebuchadnezzar, one of their leaders, one of their first leaders, he comes down. Nebuchadnezzar one comes down and he conquers them. He takes them over and he takes the people of God prisoners. For the first time since God gave them promised land, now they're losing everything God gave them. They're losing. They're going bankrupt, guys. So here they are in an exile, leaving the country. And as they leave, something would happen. Something would happen. The soldiers would look at every single person passing by. And if you were handsome, check this out. If you were handsome and you were strong and you looked smart, you get picked out. See, I'd get picked out on that one right away. They just walking by, they would pick me out right there. You know, I know they'd pick me out right there. They pick you out. I'm just if you're new, don't freak out. I'm kidding. All right. And they would pick you out. Why would they pick you out? Look at this smart government system. They would pick you out because they'd grab all the young, smart men when they were really young and they trained them. What did they train them for? They trained them for what's called the Kadian or Chandea is the real name. And it, it, the real Greek name would be pronounced Chandea. And what's the Chandea? The belief of the multiple, listen to this, listen to this, the multiple beliefs that have come into agreement. That's called the doctrine, guys. It's called the doctrine. The multiple beliefs that came into agreement of the Babylonians. What was that? You believe in this. You believe in that. You believe in this. We believe in that. Hey, that's all good. 
doesn't matter. We believe that women should be the best and the conquerors and their goddess. All right, let's go, dude. I believe that a man should be. We believe that this tree is a god. There it goes. We believe that this guy is a god. It was okay. It was all right. You believe. I believe. Now, you know who prevailed, which god prevailed? The god of the man who was ruling at that time. Now, get, don't, don't, don't mistake here. All gods existed in their, in their beliefs. All gods existed, but there was one God that would prevail. Which was the God that prevailed? Whoever was ruler would decide. If I was king and I'm all for uh, orange popsicles, it was the orange popsicle God. Okay? If you're all for dogs, it was a dog God. If you're all for, it, so that's how it worked. Now, the king Nebuchadnezzar, he had this God. Okay? Marduk. And Marduk, to him, was a Greek mythological god that came down and had the power as a patron. I don't know if you guys understand the patron concept. But he was the god of that city. And what he did was that he prospered that city. So he believed that this king, this god, would kill everything. So Nebuchadnezzar believed that, and, it, and, and, and it's, look how I tie it up. Nebuchadnezzar believed in his main god, which is Marduk. Marduk was the god that can defeat other gods and take their land. So that said, he said, if I can take lands, then I could be as powerful as Marduk. So Nebuchadnezzar is believing in a God that will empower him to be just as strong. And he's grabbing young little men and bringing them with him in the exile and saying, I want you guys to learn this doctrine. I want you guys to look at all the gods and tell us what's the best. We're going to train you. You guys are going to be our students. Pulling out these men, he pulled out one specific guy that I want to present to you. He pulled out Daniel. Now when he pulled out Daniel, no, this is not Jesus, it's Daniel, okay? When he pulled out Daniel, okay, um, he pulled out Daniel, and Daniel had three buddies, three friends of his, okay, which had three names, and no, they're not the names you know, they're not the names you're used to knowing, okay, because their names were changed, just like Daniel's name was changed also. So he grabs a lot of young men, but these four guys, they stand out. These four guys, when they made it as prisoners slash counselors slash rich pretty kids and they're in the court when they're in there they're told they have to eat everything at Babylon they have to drink everything at Babylon these kids said no we're not doing that we'd rather die but we're not doing that so they go and they plead to the to the to their mentor, and their mentor turns to them and says, listen, if the king Nebuchadnezzar knows that you guys don't eat this, we're gonna fr he's going to kill me, he's going to have my head, he's going to have yours too. He's going to kill us all. So he says, you guys got to eat this. And they say, listen, I love this part. These kids were real smart. They said, listen, what's your fear? He says, if he walks around and sees you skinny, he's going to know you guys aren't eating, and I'm going to get in trouble for that. He says, listen, just don't give us food. We'll only eat the basic fruits and vegetables. And if in a couple of months, we're skinny, kill us yourself. Months went by, and the kids were stronger than anybody else. And, and that put them in favor with the guard, with the mentors. But Nebuchadnezzar never knew that was happening. Well, these three guys and their friend Daniel are living there. And because this happened, they start standing out. One night, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, has a dream. And when he has this dream, he sees a statue. He sees a gigantic statue. And the statue has a gold head. 
And it's divided as you go down the body in silver, bronze, and just pure metal. It starts losing quality as you go down on this statue. And when he starts looking at this statue and how it starts losing power, the guy can't sleep at night. So Nebuchadnezzar is toss and turn and, and throw, toss and turn. He's like, I don't know what's happening. Come on, I conquered all this land. I got everything under control. What's this dream? The guy cannot sleep. So he calls all the magicians and all the astrologists and all the wise men. He says, listen, can somebody explain this dream to me? So nobody can explain this dream to him. Nobody can explain it to him. Since nobody can explain it to him, he starts freaking out. He says, you know what? If you don't explain this dream to me by tomorrow, I'm chopping your heads off. And he declares a decree to chop everybody's head off. Well, when they start chopping everybody's head off, they go back to the courtroom and guess who's in the courthouse? You got Daniel and the three guys are there. And they're there still and they said, hey, you guys are wise men from Judah. And we brought you because you guys, we know that you guys have some power because we didn't give you food and you guys were so strong. So we're chopping your head off too. And that's where Daniel said, wait, 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 before you chop my head, man, before you take this, give time out, time out, time out. Give me a break. Give me a break. Before you chop my head off, can you allow me to pray and ask God what the dream is about? And if God tells me, I'll let you know. If not, look, just go. But, you know, just give me a break. So the guard says, wait a minute, let me consult with the king. Goes back to the king and says, hey, we got these four wise guys. And they're there. And, 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 and he says that he can interpret your dream, man. One of them is called Daniel. The four of them, one of them is Daniel. He can, he can interpret your dream. But he says he needs to tomorrow. You give him, we cut him a slack. So the king says, you know what? I don't need him. I could kill him, but I'm going to give him a couple of hours. I'm going to give him a break. I'm going to give him a chance. So he gives him this chance overnight. Next day in the morning, it's, I love that portion of the Bible. You guys got to read it. It's in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel's praying, and God reveals to him. You think about it. He, he's never spoken with Nebuchadnezzar. He doesn't know what the dream is about, and now he's got to figure out what he's dreaming about. What is he dreaming about? God, tell me. Tell me. They're going to chop my head off. God gives him a revelation. He says, it's a statue. It's like this, 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 this. And it goes from gold down. He runs off the next day. He says, praise God. I praise you. I love that praise and worship. There's, there's certain things called um, um, kantikos. It's, it's a Greek word. It comes, actually, it's a Hebrew word, kantikos. And what it means, it means a shout. Of what you feel inside of you. La Magnificat with Mary and her baby is one of those. We have Elizabeth when she's having the baby of John the Baptist. To so those that have been for years in the church. There's just certain moments in your life. You can't explain it. But you just shout out of you. This praise and this worship. And you're like, God, this is one of Daniel's cantico. He's going... God, I believe you. You are great. You're awesome. You revealed this to me. They're not chopping my head. And he goes off to the king. When he goes off to the king, he makes it to the king. And when he makes it, he says, listen, this is your dream. You're dreaming about a statue. And I understand the whole thing. And the statue's got three pieces, four pieces. And it's got different colors. And, and the king's like, what? What? That's it. That's it. What does it mean? And this is what he says to him. He says, I'll tell you what it means. What it means is that the, the, the top of the statue, the top of it, uh, that's you. The top of the statue is you. This is Daniel speaking. He says, because this is your empire. This is your empire and this is how it works. And the top of the statue is you. It's your kingdom. It's the time you're king. You're going to be very prosperous. Your gold, it's going to be great. You established the Babylonian empire with power. You are the top of the head. That's what he says. He says, the bottom is the generation that follows you. They'll be strong and they'll be robust and they'll expand, but they won't be as strong as you are. Not that quality of you are. You're the dude. You're the dude, he says. And, and he says, and under you, another generation will come and they'll start losing power and so on and so forth so he's he's telling him so so this is what i'm telling you god 
My God, not your God, not Marduk, my God, Jehovah. He's giving you a break because his people didn't listen and they don't want to do what he called them to do. So he let you take them as prisoners and he's giving you a break to grow. So do things right. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar loves it. He says, that's good, that's good. He takes Daniel and he puts him next to him. He says, you're going to be next to me, buddy, because you're, you're, you're the dude, man. You know how to do this. And you know what? He even says, praise God. Nebuchadnezzar says, praise God. He's got Daniel next to him, and the three buddies are still in the courthouse. A couple of times, some time goes by, and as the time goes by, watch this, guys. This is where it really gets interesting. Because of the prophecy that was revealed to him, Daniel starts thinking in his mind, oh, I mean, I mean Nebuchadnezzar starts thinking in his mind, I'm the head. I'm the dude. Even the God that's not my God is telling me that I, all gods are telling me that I am it. The statue is me. Yeah. So he goes on this power rush. It's adrenaline. It's, it's a king on steroids. And the guy says, I've got control, man. And he builds this gigantic golden statue with his head on top of it. And he says, I'm going to get everybody to praise and worship. And when the trumpet sounds, everybody drop to your knees and worship and, uh, and praise the Almighty God. And at that point, well, watch this. It's, I don't know. Go ahead, go ahead. I don't know what God put in your hands, but pay attention for the next 10 minutes and I'll let you go home. All right. Um, let me try to get this message across without it affecting me spiritually because it's, it just ministered so much to me. What I'm about to give you is called the cream of the message. I don't know what God put in your hands, but he put something in your hands. It may be your job, it may be your wife, it may be your son, it may be a ministry, but you probably have more than one thing, but there's something God put in your hands in this life. And in this life, you have, you have to be careful with what you do with what God put in your hands. This life is Nebuchadnezzar. Life has power by itself and it, it's really strong on you. There's a word that keeps on coming to my mind. It, the word is expectancy. There's an expectancy of you as a mom. There's an expectancy of you as a dad. There's an expectancy of you as a grandmother. Everybody's expecting. At ministry, they're expecting. As a husband, they're expecting. As, as an employee, your boss is expecting. And expectancy is like what Nebuchadnezzar had over Daniel. There was an expectancy. The expectancy of life upon you is going to eat you because it's going to drain you every day waking up knowing that 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 you have to period period whatever it is blank you have to you're supposed to and here's the deal in chapter 3 verse 4 I want to read to you what happens 
Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. Life will command. Life's going to get, I don't care if you come to this church or you don't, life's going to command. Your work's going to demand of you. Being married demands of you. Being a parent demands of you. This world demands. It commands of you. You're supposed to. It demands of you. In verse 13, the Bible says, furious with rage. This life is going to attack you furious and with rage. Nebuchadnezzar demanded, but he also had rage and fury and anger. This life gets mad at you like this, guys. Like this. It just gets mad at you. People get mad at you for the most simple thing. This life expects you to do this. You're supposed to have this car. You're supposed to have this type of finances. You're supposed to dress this way. You're supposed to look at it. It demands of you so much this life. And, and then if you don't comply with it, life gets mad at you. Pastor, what are you talking about? Yes, like you, if somebody's standing here and, and you just start yelling at that person, Listen, I'm mad at you because of this and this and this. And I want you to understand. Now, if I say it to this, it means nothing. But if this is you and somebody's mad at you, you feel so small. You feel so insignificant. You feel so nothing. Life makes you feel, it's, come on, man, I'm, I know, I, I don't expect an amen, I don't expect an ouch, I just want you to be real with me because I'm trying to help you to break bondage, I want you to go where God wants you to go, and the truth about it is that this life has an expectancy, and when you don't fulfill it, when you don't meet the commands, when you don't, when you don't act the right way, or have the right answers, or the right finances, or live the right status, or know the right Bible verses, or do the right, when you don't know it, you start feeling insignificant because this life gets mad at you. It starts yelling at you. And I know life is yelling at somebody in this room right now. Life is yelling at somebody in this room right now. It's telling you, you know, I, I, and, and here it is. The largest voice yelling at you, most of the time it's yourself. There's more that's expected of you. And, and, and we start feeling frustrated when we don't reach the goals we're supposed to reach. Because there's an expectancy on you. Verse 16. This is what you have to answer back to life. Sidrach, Mesach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar. Look what he says to life. We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. I love that verse. That verse is so powerful. He's saying, you know what, life? I don't need to respond to you. I don't need to do what everybody thinks I have to do. I don't need to do that. Verse 17. If we are thrown into the blazing fire furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. Can I get an amen of that? If we are thrown into the furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. Can I get an amen out of that? I'm going to say that again. If you're thrown into the furnace of life and things get hot and things get difficult, your God is able to free you from that situation. Can I get an amen? Now, now stop a second. This would hit me. And he will deliver, he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But this is what gets me. Verse 18. 
But even if he does not. See, if I get the blessing, I'm going to be faithful to my God because he can cover me. And I believe he is. But even if I don't, even if I do not get it, but even if he does not do it, we want you to know something, life, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. This life has so much influence of so many cultures within us, Lord. And I, I'm speaking to you at a whole spiritual different level. It is way thicker than you. It could maybe even receive or you might even get lost in this. This society is filled with so many influences from so many cultures. We've lost ourselves in the process. And we don't even know what true worship is anymore. And true servants to God and dedicated lives to God. So we live lives half dedicated to God. And our faith goes halfway. Because we got lost in it. And what I'm saying is that you have to look at it and say... Decide what you're going to worship. You're going to worship your car, your house, your money, your future, your dressing, the code, what people expect to you. What are you going to worship? But here it is. You're going to decide what you have to worship. But the Bible says, the Bible says very clearly that these men said, if God's going to deliver us, I'm going to stay faithful to God. Listen, I'm going to stay faithful to God no matter what I'm going through. No matter what my boss wants, what my wife wants, what people want, what the expectancy is, I will stay faithful faithful to God because he's going to pull me out of this. And if he doesn't pull me out of this and I burn, you know what? I'm still going to worship God. If the sun comes up tomorrow, I'm going to worship him. And if it doesn't come up, I'm still going to worship him. If I get the raise, I'm going to worship him. If I don't get the raise, I'm going to worship him. If it goes better, I'm going to worship him. If it doesn't go better, I'm going to worship him. No matter what happens, I have decided that I'm going to worship my God above and beyond everything. If I get it, I'm doing it. If I don't get I'm still worshiping him because he's God and I'm going to stay faithful to my God but life is not going to crush me and here's my ending verse 25 Nebuchadnezzar he said look I see four men walking around in that fire unabound and unharmed and the fourth looks like a son of the gods if you stay faithful to your God, I'm finished. Receive the last word. If you stay faithful to your God, you will see. Listen, if you stay faithful to your God, they will see your God. I don't care what you're going through. I don't know what decision you have to make. I don't care how bad it looks. I don't care how tired you are. I'm telling you, people will see your God. They will see him. If you stay faithful. Pastor, I don't think people are seeing it right now. Stay faithful. Stay firm. Stay put. Don't give up. Don't give up on whatever you're doing. Don't feel harassed by life. Stay faithful. And they will see your God. They will see it. Even the people that don't believe, they'll see your almighty powerful God. If you stay faithful to your God. 